Would you turn to Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 2, we're going through that book verse by verse, and um, today we'll be going through four verses from verse 16 to verse 19. Really, I should have done it from 16 all the way to the end of the chapter, but just there's so much in there that I just couldn't fill it all up into the sermon and it overflew and, and I thought, no, no, let's just keep it from verse 16 to 19 for today and see what the Lord will prepare for us next week. So chapter 2, starting from verse 16, and the Word of God says, Let no one, uh, sorry, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions. He has been inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together, by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. Well, last week we enjoyed knowing our freedom in, that we have in our vital union with Christ. And it is so liberating for us to know and to dive deep and to get to proper understanding of what Jesus actually accomplished for us. And we looked into this at great length last week. And so, as a result of all that we heard last week, we're here in this place of worship, or at home, or in the marketplaces, we are not apologetics to preach from the rooftop that God alone is a source of our satisfaction. Against the lies of this world, uh, against the false uh, propaganda of, of the media and our culture, we declare that there is nothing that brings rest True inner peace. No position. Nor possession. Nor passion. No relationship. But the fullness of God enjoyed in the soul of man is ever meant to be our fulfillment. We're hardwired this way. You can say that our heart is like a, a glove that only the hand of God can fill. Or 
that our souls are like the Grand, Grand Canyon, thirsty for an ocean of water, that only the everlasting fountain of God can quench. Well, so far, so good, except for one thing. Sin. Sin corrupts. Sin stains the heart. Sin defiles and it enslaves, it robs you from your joy in God. Again, as part of the overview of what we did last week, you can have someone that would say, one person would say, well, what do I do? Sin stained my heart and I feel so unworthy to approach our holy God with this filthy heart of mine. Well, fear not, little flock. By the death of Christ, he cut out your filthy heart. He gave you a heart of gold. By his burial and resurrection, you are now a new person, a new creature with a divine nature. In other words, Jesus made you worthy to approach the king. That's one. The other, number two, one might say, well, I know that Jesus changed my heart, but what about my guilt? Oh, my shame, my sin is great. My burden is weighing me heavy upon me. I feel so ashamed that I commit vile sins in his presence. How can I enjoy God now? We hear the scripture and the good news of the word of God that Jesus bore all your sins, even those most vile ones that you are most ashamed of. He's forgiven you all your trespasses when you first believed in Jesus. And though, as it were, all of your sins, past, present, and future, every last one of them were like they were fired back in time and got nailed to the cross where Jesus hung naked beneath. His blood that was shed on that cross, as though it splashed upon your sin and having wiped them all out clean. That's great. But then there is a third problem. One might say, yeah, he changed my heart. He forgave my sins. But what about the devil? It's it's like he's haunting me. He's bossing me around. I feel all that I'm doing is following his direction as though he's my master and I am his slave. I feel like I am no match to his power. Oh, that devil, this old serpent is crippling me and is pulling me away from enjoying God. And Paul says in that passage that we looked at last week, how you have no idea the crushing Jesus had on the devil and his enemy and his demons when he gave up his spirit on that cross. Jesus overpowered the enemy. He disarmed him. He made a public display of him. He rendered Satan powerless, the scripture says. And he 
plundered all his captives. And Jesus now reigns as supremely as the undefeated, unequaled, unrivaled commander-in-chief of God's army. Dear brothers, lift your heads high, as high as you can, and fix your eyes upon heaven where Jesus is seated. Can, Can we fathom what it really means that the one who loved us and died for us, the very one who's living within your soul, is the Lord of hosts. Thanks be to Christ. Every Mount Everest our sin has erected between us and God, Jesus has turned it into a valley beneath the cross. Therefore, with all boldness, what do we have to do? Fly to the throne of grace. In Christ, what we have to do is open our hearts out wide and receive all the grace, all the love and joy you can get from God. And when you come out singing and rejoicing and people in the world would see you not troubled while you're suffering. That you're joyful in the midst of trials. And then they begin to wonder and they ask, how are you maintaining your peace when the world around you is crumbling? You would say, you just don't understand. I have come to know what it means that I am complete in him. Amen. Brothers, have you come to know what it means you are complete in Christ? Are you holding tightly to Jesus? Have you come to know him? Have you come to realize that to have him is to have all of God. And to enjoy Him is to enjoy God. And the opposite is true. Not to have Him is to have absolutely nothing but misery. And false teachers are trying to pull a cover over our head, not just at the time of Colossians, as we're going to see soon, but even throughout all history, even today, And their biggest attempt is this, to pull us away from from Christ. False teachers through media, through TV, through the news, even schools and universities, False teachers, they say to you this, Oh, it is good that you want to enjoy God. I am happy for you. Oh, you want to know God through Jesus. Fine, go ahead. But you know something? There are other ways to be spiritual. And come so close as important and as effective as knowing Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, well, what are they? Number one, and as we're going to look at today, 
Legalism. Legalism. One way false teachers use to pull us away from Christ is by drawing us towards legalism. What is legalism? Legalism is simply this. Your proximity to God is determined by your self-achievement, your biceps, your muscles. You see, once, once the sufficiency of Christ is undermined, and what he's done on the cross is reduced, then what Jesus did is not just simply good enough to be accepted by God. Well, what do you need? Legalism comes and says, well, you need to help this poor Jesus and give him a hand. You need human accomplishment. Help Jesus to help you. Or perhaps to say it in another way, borrowing from man's philosophy and not the scripture, you have a saying that goes like this, God helps those who help themselves. A recipe cooked in a pit of hell. So legalism would say, well, to approach God, to be accepted by God, you've got to climb that ladder of self-righteousness. Be good. Be nice. And as you are being good and being nice and do it miserably, you're getting closer to God. And what they don't realize is this. That this ladder of self-righteousness is leaning on the wrong wall. And they will only know this when they meet God face to face. Now here's a question for you, and even before we start reading the passage. Now which religion do you think is founded upon legalism? Upon works-based mentality? Which religion? All, all false religions rely on man's effort to approach God. We need to know this. Every last one of false religion out there, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, it doesn't matter, Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness, Buddhism, every one of them, they've got a system in place and they tell you, you follow this system and you get to God. That's why when you go and you do outreach and you ask 99.9% of people out there, would you consider yourself to be a good person? What do they say? I am a good person. Man's effort. Only Christianity that says, not all my effort put together will ever lead me one inch nearer to God. Only Christ. Nothing else. Resting in Christ alone and what he's done for me is the only way to be accepted by God. Well, that's great. Not necessarily. Why? Do you know what is sad? There are many Christians who say, yeah, that's true. 
That's true. Uh, through faith, by grace, in Christ alone, am I ever accepted by God? Okay, fine, great. And you know what they do? They kneel before Christ and they say to him, only you can save me from my sin. But then what happens? They begin to walk with God and they leave Christ behind. And they become legalistic in their lives with God. Here's a good opportunity to really ask ourselves, am I being legalistic? Do I have that mentality that Jesus only saves me, but then from that point onwards, it's all about me, my effort. My strengths. Do I have the spirit of legalism in me? What does that mean? It means this. Do you think that your spiritual growth is determined by what you do for God? Or is it by what Christ does in you? What does that mean? How do I know if I'm being legalistic or I've been succumbed by legalistic people? How do I know? Let's read the passage and see what what God says. Verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge. What do we know so far about legalistic people? They are judgmental people. They are condemning people. They think of themselves to be the government of the community. And they feel somehow they have the right to be self-appointed as the local police officers. And they like to go around policing everyone. They're issuing tickets to those who... Break their laws. Oh, you didn't say hello today. I noticed this. Well, how come you don't have that hairstyle that I have? Here. Here's a fine for you. You see, what do legalistic people judge others upon? Now, let's be clear. We have to be very careful in this. It is not so much that they judge other Christians based on God's law. That's not the case. Of course, we ought to judge other Christians based on God's clear commandments if they are violated. Let me read to you a passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Paul says, actually, I wrote to you, not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now listen to this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, meaning the non-Christians? Do you not judge those who are within the church. Of course we ought to judge within the church. That's, that's how we protect the gospel. 
That's how we maintain and protect our purity in our walk with God. But legalistic people, you know what they do? They make up their own rules and they demand everyone to comply with their own commandments. Let's continue reading. It says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regards to what? Food or drink. What's that? Okay. There are, <clears throat> these are Old Testament dietary laws, which obviously have been made obsolete. They were given not really to us, but they're given to the nation of Israel so that they can uh, live set apart for God as a, as a holy nation. It's to them. In Leviticus 11, we read about this, um, much of the dietary laws. And, and in the Old Covenant, they were forbidden to eat certain food. Food like pigs. They couldn't eat pigs. Camels, rabbits, shellfish. That's that, shellfish. Now, the idea is when they stick to those commandments, to those rules that they would, they would find it extremely difficult, if not even impossible, to mingle with other nations. Okay, But that was back then. Thanks be to God, we don't belong to the old covenant. Remember the, the vision that Peter had um, when he was hungry in the book of Acts and he heard a voice and a voice said to him, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. No longer. This means that in a new covenant, the dietary laws are made redundant. They're no longer in force. Praise God, you can eat all the bacons that you want all day long. And, and it won't infringe your walk with God. Praise God. I'm not so sure about shellfish. I think maybe it's... But bacon is okay. <laughs> Brothers, walking with God is not about food or drink. Romans 14 verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Meaning living with God has nothing to do with what you put in your stomach. No. It's about what God does with your life. It's about you pursuing your joy in God by living a righteous life. And who decides what a righteous life is? False teachers? No. God, in his, through his word. But do you know what legalistic people like to do? They reduce Christ to be a little savior. Yes, he's there, but he's only a little savior. And then and instead of that, they erect for themselves a system of worship. To them, Christianity, Christianity is no more than policies and procedures. Man-made rules. And if you eat this or drink that, you're not a holy man. But um, if you eat this, then you are a holy man. 
And they begin to choke the liberty of Christians and they are forcing Christians to comply to their rules. And they say, ah, you're really not going to drink this beer, are you? Or you, you're, gonna, you're not going to eat this food, are you? And Paul says, this is terrible. This is terrible. Don't be legalistic. And don't let any, anybody... Take away your freedom you have in Christ. And then Paul continues and he says, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the Sabbath day. Kirby, Pastor Kirby done a great job the other day and I am endeavoring to spend much more time where it becomes interactive in Tuesday night study to help us know more about the Sabbath day. But I do want to mention a little disclaimer. It's very, very important. that Here it is. Many people wrongly assume that the fourth commandment in God's law is no longer binding because of this verse. They think you shall not keep, that you shall, you shall keep the Sabbath Holy is no longer binding. Now, I believe this is an incorrect conclusion. I, I find that the Ten Commandments, which is summed up of God's moral law, is and will always be binding. Romans chapter 3, verse 31, Paul says, Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. What law? Civil law? Ceremonial law? Of course not. It's the moral law of God, which is summed up in the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath day of rest. Now, obviously, our Sabbath day is now on Sunday, and that's great, and we get together and worship our Lord, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, so what does Paul have in mind? I believe he has in mind the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law. Why? Why do I believe that? Well, if you read the Bible, you find that every single time these three words are mentioned, put together. What are the words? Festivals, new moon, Sabbath. When they are put together, together they speak of the ceremonial law. Where, you know, when, when they have animals, they slaughter them, they sacrifice them to be a burnt offering, and they offer it to God, ceremonial law. Like, for example, I want to give you a couple of examples so you understand and you track with me. First Chronicles chapter 23, verse 31, it says, And to offer all burnt offerings to Yahweh on the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the fixed festivals in a number said by the ordinance concerning them continually before Yahweh. Ceremonial law. Second Chronicles 31 verse 3, if you're interested, again it says, He also appointed the king's portion of his goods for the burnt offerings, namely for the morning and evening burnt offerings, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths, and for the new moons, and for the fixed festivals, as it is written in the law of Yahweh. Which law? Ceremonial law. 
the new covenant, all the ceremonial laws are ever meant to be pointing to Christ and they are fulfilled in Christ. So when it says, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, what Paul is saying here is that those legalistic people, they make up their own laws and they impose it on us because why? They're a control freak. They want to lord over you. They want to squeeze you into their own mold. And he's saying, don't let that happen. Don't. We are free from all kinds of ceremonial laws. The only way to climb up on that ladder of self-righteousness is when you trample with your feet upon other people and you feel in charge and in control of the spiritual growth. And that's what legalistic people love to do. Now, please note so that we don't go to the other extreme. This is very important now. It's going to get more important now. Paul is not saying here, do not celebrate festivals. He's not saying that. He's just basically saying that they're no longer binding. They've been abolished. What does that mean? It means this. Please pay attention. Some of you are not paying attention. You've got to pay attention. It means this. It is not a sin to perform these festivals, nor is it a sin not to perform them. How come? Verse 17. Things which are mere shadow of what is to come. All these things, whether they're dietary laws, ceremonial laws, or any other man-made law, when it comes to knowing and pleasing God, all of these things weigh as much as shadow. How much does a shadow weigh? Zero. Nothing. Zilch. All of them put together don't add or take away from your growth in God. They have no substance. So what does? He continues on, but the substance belongs to Christ. This word substance means living body. Life breathing. Shadows dead. Christ is living and breathing. The entire way to help you to grow rests squarely on Christ who is in you. So he's saying, why? Why in God's name would you ever want to hug this dead shadow of man-made rules which carry absolutely no substance when you can hug Christ, that living body? Why would you want to do this? So what's the point of all of this? It's very important, I believe, at this point, if we, want to, if we ever want to maintain unity, that we understand properly the application in today's culture. What's the point? How do we apply this in our lives? And here is what um, 
Perhaps a Vodi Bokum is about to give these supplications. I believe I can hear him safe in case if, if you don't say ouch, say amen. Is that how it goes? Well, you have people who put great emphasis on celebrating Easter Sunday and Christmas Day. And that's fine. That's fine. If you feel convicted to do that, you're not being legalistic. If you want to do that, go ahead and do it. But you must not impose it on others that, that they have to somehow carry your own convictions. Why? Why? Because nowhere in the scripture does it command us to celebrate Easter Day or Christmas Day. And yet, others say, huh, haven't you read history? Don't you know that these festivals are made up by Emperor Constantine and they were originally pagan festivals? Yes, read history. Yes, I understand Constantine turned those pagan festivals into Easter Sunday, and that's why the, the word Easter is not really meant to be. It's, it's a worship of idols. So what are you going to do? Ah, oh, I'm, I'm not going to celebrate those days. Fine, don't do that. That's okay too. But don't choke your brother's freedom in Christ who choose to celebrate those days. How come? Because nowhere in the scripture does it ever forbid celebration of Easter and Christmas. If the scripture is silent, we must not judge one another. The clothes we wear, the earrings, the tattoos, none of these things have any bearing on the spiritual growth. Again, some are convicted to celebrate birthdays. We must celebrate birthdays, they say. Oh, and anniversaries. And they go and they buy cakes and they give presents and they spend so much money in, 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 in all the toys and all the presents that they find. That's okay. Go ahead and do that. Spend as much money as you like in these things if, if that's what you see fit. But don't judge others that somehow that they are sinning or somehow they're not caring if they don't buy you a present. Or somehow those husbands don't really love their wives because they don't celebrate the anniversaries like you do. Ralph, go ahead and take your wife to Bunnings and your, her birthday if you like. Praise the Lord. You are free, brother. Don't judge others if the scripture does not forbid or, or command. Otherwise, you've been legalistic. Yeah, on the other hand, and I have to say this too, if you don't celebrate birthdays, that's okay. But don't think that somehow you're more spiritual than others because you don't celebrate birthdays. It's not about external activities that define our spiritual 
walk with God. That's the point. I want to drive it home and I expose another misconception. So stay with me. I'm not done yet. Stay with me. And you can throw stones at me later on after we finish your service. I still love you. <laughs> still love you. No, I know, I know you don't. I know you won't throw stones. You, 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 you're great people. <laughs> then what do we do? What do we do? And here's a misconception. And it must be addressed. Ah, some say, well... Since the scripture does not mandate or forbid, then I will do whatever I want. The scripture is silent. I'll do whatever I want. I heard someone who said to another person, Oh, you want to work more hours? That's fine. Go ahead and work more hours. The scripture does not tell you whether to work or not work and think that that's okay. Absolutely not. Why? What does the text say? But the substance belongs to self. Is that what it says? If the substance belongs to self, then you can do whatever you want so long as the scripture does not forbid or command. But no, the substance belongs to Christ. What does this mean? It means this, you choose whatever will draw us nearer to Christ. What is it that will magnify Christ more? To work longer hours or not? This is the question we must answer. Does it enrich our heart with Christ? When you go and you have that extra earring or tattoo, you need to question, really serious. Is this going to grow and enrich? My relationship with Jesus, or is it going to hinder it? Why? Christ is the cause of all things. He is the sustainer of all things, and he is the end of all things. He is the substance. And he stands in contrast with legalism. Amen? Well, that's... One way that false teaching pulls us away from Christ, legalism. Second is mysticism. False teachers pull us away from Christ by waving mysticism before our eyes. Now, what does this mean? What is mysticism? It is when one relies on some subjective religious experience that has nothing to do with the Scripture, things like visions and dreams, relies on these things for growth or to determine, to determine someone's growth. Again, we're not talking here about your personal intimacy with Jesus when you have devotion and you're wanting to enjoy him that's not what we are talking about here what are we talking about let's read the text verse 18 let no one keep defrauding you of your prize 
Don't let false teachers rob you from your eternal rewards. What is prize? If you read the scripture carefully, you find our prize is Jesus Christ. So he's saying, don't let these people take you away from Christ. How do they do that? By delighting in self-abasement. That's self, self-focused. By delighting in that. Self-abasement is another way of saying humility. In fact, you read the same word in other passages, just the word humility. By delighting in humility. So apparently... There were some people that would like to go around and advertising their own humility. Oh, I'm so humble. Look at me. I'm so lowly in the heart. Bizarre, right? But can I say something? As bizarre as this sounds, brothers, there are many, many of us fall into that same trap. What do you mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we, there, are, there are many of us that will go around and say, look at me, I'm so humble. Of course nobody says that. We're much smarter than that. But what do we say? This is how it comes across. Oh, I'm, I'm, I feel I'm so unworthy to serve. I'm so unworthy to pray. I'm, I'm not worthy to sing. So what do you want to do instead? Oh, I'll, nothing much. I, I just want to sit back and, and grow in the dark like a mushroom. Really? And this man is expecting everyone around him to say, Wow, what a, what a humble man he is. How spiritual this man is. He could have been serving here or praying there, but, but he feels so unworthy, so he decided to do nothing. Brothers, this is not humility. You know what it is? You know what it is? It's uselessness. And there is no glory in being idle in God's kingdom. There's no glory about that. You know, when you say, I am not worthy to serve God, and so you don't do what God wants you to do, let's call it as it is. It is no humility. It's pride. Because you don't think that Jesus was good enough to count you worthy. And if you would have a small J, lowercase j, Jesus, in your mind that, that he's not good enough to count you worthy, that's pride, right? You know what true humility is? True humility is to forget about yourself. It is no longer about self-worth. True humility is when you boast in the fact that you belong totally to Jesus. And you are willing to do whatever he tells you without grumbling or complaining, not thinking that, that you're holy by being useless. Now let's continue. It says, delighting in self-abasement and worship of the angels. 
So what that means most likely is that those false teachers, that they're saying, oh, I am not good enough to approach God directly. Well, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm just going to go to God through the worship of angels. Like we're here today, you know, many people will say, oh, I'm going to, I'm not worthy to approach a holy God. So what are you going to do? I'm going to intercede through saints or Mary, whatever. And then, and then look, look as, as he's going through that motion of self-humility. Look what happens. Ah, uh, taking his stand on visions he has seen. Ah, uh, while I'm, while I'm so sad, I'm, beating my chest, and I'm being so humble. Oh, guess what happened in that, in that humility, and I'm praying and interceding. Ah, oh, this saint appeared to me in a vision. So saint, saint Mark came in a vision, and he spoke to me. Really? So he left the throne of God. And the worship of God and the fellowship with the saints in heaven to come. And he decided to have a chat with you. Why you? Why? Look what he says. Look what Paul says. It's not my opinion. I'm just reading what the text says. Inflated. Hot air balloon. Emptiness. There's emptiness in it. Inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. He just wants people to say, oh, you must be a, a really spiritual man. I mean, if you had those visions, you must be a very humble man and we should make an icon of you. Taking his stand on visions, he's seen. Do you know something, brothers? Well, if I've gone that far, I might as well go all the way, right? Do you know that this is not just happening only in the Orthodox and the Catholic churches? But the entire charismatic movement founded on, on those false visions and dreams. And leading multitudes of people away from the sufficiency of Christ. You know, a few years, a few years ago... Um, when we were much smaller, we were about 30 of us, and we used to have the evening service at my house. And at a, one time, there was someone who came, and he joined our fellowship only for a couple of weeks. And I remember in that evening service on that day, while we, 30 of us are praying, having a prayer meeting, he decided to leave, and he went to the bathroom. And then he came out, and as we're halfway through the prayer, he interrupted us, and he said, Ah, oh, I, I just had a vision in a toilet. So it was dead silence in the room. I'm just thinking, what is it? What's, he, what's he about to say? And he said, God spoke to me. And if you remember those of us, God spoke to me and he said two words. God spoke two words to him. I thought in my head, well, he must have told him, flush the toilet. <laughs> that would make sense, right? 
But never mind that. So he said, ah, oh, two words, revitalization and calibration. I don't know if you remember, but I, I remember these. Now, whatever that meant, why do people do that? Why? Have you ever wondered, why is it people like to, to come out and brag, oh, God spoke to me in a vision, or God spoke in my heart, and he told me this, and God said this to me. Why do they do that? Well, other than the fact that I'm going to go in depth of what that means on Tuesday night studies, the apostle says here, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, nothing but sheer pride. They want you to look up to them. They want to feel authoritative. Think about it. They want to be in charge of what to do. Because if God told them something, then guess what? You have no choice but to submit to it. And if, if you don't do what they tell you, well, guess what? Now you're sinning. Because if God told them something and you don't do it, you're, you're rebelling against God. How can you enjoy God now when you're rebelling against Him? And so they get you, and they try to bind your conscience this way. They want to be in control of your spiritual growth. And what Paul is saying here, don't let those loopy people control your spiritual growth. Your spiritual growth is determined not by how many false visions you have or somebody else has. What is it determined by? We'll continue now, verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Jesus Christ. From whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from Are we malnourished? Do we lack spiritual growth like minerals and vitamins? Don't try to have visions and dreams. Don't try to rely on saints or whatever. What do you do? How do you grow? Like what? Well, do you feel weak, for example? Let's be more specific. Do you feel weak? Then what do you do? Christ says... Here is my strengthening grace. It is perfected in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Is your soul wounded? Do you feel like you need that touch of God's mercy? Jesus says, here is my pierced hand. I died so that I can heal your wounds. Isaiah 53 verse 3. And Christ says to all of us, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To do what? To lead you, to guide you. By correcting you, admonishing you, teaching you, counseling you. 
And just like a head always working behind the scene and keeps on nourishing and never stops healing, so is Christ our head to his body, the church. His very breath and blood flows right through us, nourishing us all. Brothers, we need to know that this is precisely why Jesus came and died for us and bore the full wrath of God for us. Why? Ephesians 5 tells us, verse 26 and 27, so that he might sanctify us, having cleansed us by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church, that is you and I, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that saving grace Bible church. Would be holy and blameless. Brothers, if Jesus is all you need for your growth, then why in God's name would we ever want to be want to go back and be under that yoke of legalism or mysticism? We don't need that. Let us run the race. Press on. Laying hold of Christ. Cling to Christ. Oh, would to God that our heart prayer is God. Consume me. Mind, affection, and will all of me by Christ. I pray, brothers and sisters, that we're not succumbed by all these things that lure us away from Christ, but we would be so determined to just hold on to Him and Him alone. He's all you need. He is all you need. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. He has left nothing for us to want to pursue other than him alone. And even in pursuing him, thank you, Lord. We don't need to follow man-made rules. We don't. We don't need to think that we would be too spiritual to squeeze our eyes so hard and pretend that there is a vision. We don't need to do that. Thank you, Lord. You made it so simple for us to hold on to Christ, just to follow him and obey him and be in his own shadow all the time. Lord, would you help us, Lord, in this dying world and full of lies and deception that Jesus would shine like the bright morning star and you make it so clear for us 
what direction he wants us to, to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.